welcome to season two, episode 19 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as the pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And my co-host normally is Patrick Reed. He's a missionary to the Gambia in Africa, but Patrick could not be with us today. I gave him kind of a short notice for this particular uh, episode recording session, and uh, he's having battery problems uh, in his RV uh, where he's living down in Florida in preparation for uh, his journey over to Africa. He's not going to Africa in his RV, but he does live there. He sold his house up here in Maryland. And anyway, he's having to do some repairs on his RV right now. So uh, he's, he's having to skip out on us on this particular episode recording, but that's okay. Joining me today are my two daughters, Kayla Patey and Amber, still tally. She's not married yet. Hey girls, welcome to Grace or Grit. How are y'all today? Hi, we're doing good. (laughs) I am. Kayla's speaking for Amber. Amber, how are you today? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh me, I wanted to get this episode in last week, but uh, last week was all kind of crazy for the three of us and we just couldn't squeeze it in. It wasn't so much a matter of time for me. Uh, There were things that I could have set aside and and did the podcast. It was a matter of brain power and logistics getting this uh, idea put together. So anyway, I I don't know, a few weeks back, I I talked about faithfulness and how stewards are supposed to be faithful. And, uh, you know, and I even used uh, doing a podcast late on a Saturday night as an example of of being faithful when it's hard to get it done. And then this past week I didn't get a podcast done. So I'm not the example of faithfulness. Uh, but anyway, we're here and I'm glad uh, that we can do this. Um, I had Elijah on the podcast back uh, episode 15 of the, of the first season. Uh, he was on, he did a podcast similar to this one. Actually, I, I entitled it preacher's kid or church brat. Uh, and then Seth was on a little later, a different podcast entitled Worship or Performance. So if you're one of our listeners, um, maybe you didn't hear those episodes or you don't know who Elijah and Seth are. Those are my sons. And I had my wife on last November for a Thanksgiving podcast, but uh, haven't gotten my daughters on yet. So I'm thrilled to have Kayla and Amber on the podcast today. Why don't we start out by each of you? giving your testimony of your faith in Christ. Which one of you wants to go first? I can go first. Kayla's the eldest. The eldest <laughs> goes first. All right. Um, well, I was saved at the age of four. Uh, well, in our home. Um, but it was on a Wednesday evening after church in Alabama. And I remember it very clearly because I sat down with you and I think I asked you about hell and the, uh, the rapture. And I remember you showing me where in the Bible and I don't, I don't know how I remember that night very clearly. Um, but then I was baptized a few years later. Uh, I think I was six. Um, and 
as we moved to Maryland and um, started different schools, I think I tried really hard to figure out what it kind of meant to be um, a Christian in not only a Christian school at first, but then we went to public school and it just kind of got a little more difficult because, you know, I wanted to have friends and be in the in crowd and not be, you know, that pastor's kid that never did anything and, you know, stayed to herself. And, um, but over the summers we would go to camp and I can remember recommitting myself to Christ time and again, but I would fall back into the same old rhythms comes the school year. And I got very comfortable being two different versions of myself and struggled with many different worldly pressures throughout um, my high school career. And I would have different friendships that I thought were, you know, really good. They'd fall away and then new friendships. And it was just kind of a vicious cycle. Um, but after I graduated uh, college, I went to Liberty University and that was really my reality check because I stopped wanting to, you know, just play the part and I wanted to dedicate um, to really, you know, being the part, seeing so many, you know, amazing people around me living for Christ and they're actually really happy and they didn't seem like they were trying so hard. It was just something they enjoyed. And even though I failed many times, I didn't really stop trying. Um, but years later, after getting married and having my daughter, um, like I said, old friendships falling away, new friendships arising, I, you know, apologized to God for trying to be two different people and not giving him my all. And I started to persist in breaking the pattern and now I feel like I've really grown in my relationship with Christ and I've really relied on him through the changing seasons of my life, which have been rapidly changing lately. Um, and I really wish I figured that out earlier, but better late than never, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's called frog faith, right? Fully relying on God. I got that from some yogurt place. Um <laughs> Yeah. When we grow in grace, we learn to fully rely on God rather than uh, on ourselves, which always ends up in being double-minded. Mm -hmm. so, so that's pretty awesome. If I remember correctly, when you, and I do remember that scene in our living room down in Falkville, when you prayed uh, the sinner's prayer, if I remember correctly, you prayed a sinner's prayer that you had heard on the Odyssey program and you prayed it word for word. Is that does that sound I, does that sound accurate? I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if and it was I feel Connie's. like I have it written in a Bible somewhere. Yeah, probably do. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a girl in there. I think her name was Connie. Uh, yeah. and I think it was her sinner's prayer. Uh, but she prayed it word for word. You had heard that episode over and over again. Huh. Pretty cool. All right, Amber. What's your story of your faith in Christ? Well, um, like Kayla, I don't really remember when I got saved. I know that I got saved at like a young age. For some reason, my brain always jumps to when I was seven. So I th think that's when it happened. Pretty sure it was in the middle of summertime, probably after vacation Bible school. I can't really remember what I said, who I was with, what I did. I just know that I did get saved and I've been saved since. But I mean, 
just like Kayla, she fell into worldly temptations. We grew up our entire lives in a pastor's home and throughout church and everything. So we either learned how to act right or lie well. So, um, (laughs) but I know that throughout elementary school, I was always picked on for being a Christian because I got called a goody two shoes. Um, so that was fun. Uh, in middle school, it kind of got to where I was just pushing my Christianity to the back burner. Everyone knew I was a pastor's daughter, but I didn't, you know, throw Jesus at anybody. They kind of just was quiet. Didn't really talk to anybody. My friends knew that I was a Christian. They did the normal things. They didn't cuss around me. They didn't make weird jokes, nothing like that. They just, they kind of flipped a switch themselves when they were around me to make me feel comfortable. And then in high school, they just didn't really care anymore. They, they basically were like, you're in high school now, you're gonna have to deal with this in the world. You might as well get used to it. So there's no filter, no nothing. I went through high school being uncomfortable around certain people. I never enjoyed hearing other people cussing. So it was kind of just I either just walked away when it started or I just ignored it all together. I never tried to say like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Nothing like that. Cause I didn't want to get labeled, you know, a goody two shoes or like a mom or anything like that. But I was in high school, so I really didn't want to get picked on again. Like I had been in elementary school, but then COVID happened and I didn't have to deal with you know, my weird classmates who thought I was strange for believing in something bigger than them. And um, I'd have to say I got serious about Jesus probably in 10th grade because I wasn't happy with anything going on. I didn't like doing anything. I didn't enjoy being around anybody. I didn't even like going to church because I just, I didn't have any friends. My sister was gone. Everyone was busy. I was basically just alone. And in 10th grade, I started hanging out more with my friend Shelby from church. And me and Shelby have been friends for years. And she basically was like, was like, you know, you have like, a lot of people that care about you. And I, I didn't think I did because I didn't have a lot of people around. So she made me see from a different perspective that me not having a lot of people around to help me is something that I shouldn't be so upset about. And I should see how God can help me more than others. So she basically I guess I could say brought me back to knowing my purpose in Christ and remembering that I'm living for him and that everything I do should be to glorify him and everything. And me and Shelby have had our friendly struggles throughout the years. So she helped me with that. And then whenever COVID happened, I had more time on my hands because I wasn't doing school because I finished all of my schoolwork and I didn't have a lot to do at work. So at that point, 
last year, I got to really read my Bible and pray and listen in church because I wasn't thinking about school or my friends or anything. Cause I couldn't go anywhere. So literally all I had was my Bible, my room and a pen. So I would have to say last year is when I, you know, started reading my Bible, studying it, learning more about it, caring more about it. And then this year has been a challenge, but it's definitely been one of the easier years of my life. I know that I want to go to Liberty. I plan on getting very into the word while I'm at Liberty. I mean, I, I am now, but there they have Bible classes and professors and I'm excited to pick out a church that I'm going to go to. So I don't know. I'm excited for the new chapter that God has planned for me. And I know that he's going to guide me through it with whatever I do. So that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing. There's, there's some recurring themes that popped up uh, there. The first one, obviously, is what we're going to be talking about today. The title of the episode is A Preacher's Daughters, and both of y'all mentioned being uh, pastor's kids. But there's a recurring theme that came up in your testimony, Amber, uh, when you said, basically, yeah, and I don't really remember a lot of details about my salvation experience, but I know I'm saved. And that's something that has come up in my 20 years in, in ministry over and over and over again. Sometimes we emphasize as preachers um, that crisis moment of experience and praying a sinner's prayer and so forth. We emphasize that so much that we fail to emphasize that it's not, there is an experience. I'm not saying there's not, but if a person's faith is in Christ, then they are God's child. Whether they can point to the moment of their conversion is neither here nor there. And it's interesting to me, as you look through the scriptures, most of the Bible characters, it's difficult to pinpoint where they went from no faith in God to faith in God. Um, even some of the disciples, you know, Jesus said, follow me, and Peter followed. But then later, Jesus said, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. And some people would say that wasn't a reference to Peter's salvation. Um, it was a reference to a secondary point of growth, which is the other recurring thing. And both of you girls have just shared that, that you um, professed faith in Christ. You were born again, but then you drifted. And that was my testimony as well. And I've seen that over and over and over again, where people get saved, then they get distracted. And then there's this secondary point where they say, wait, I've got to get serious about following Christ. And uh, so there's a, I don't know, there's a... Um, a comfort in that recurring theme when you when you know godly people who have this uh, same experience or similar experiences and when you have that experience yourself and you hear that from someone else there's that uh resonance where you're like ah yes this is the way god works um and it, it's very reassuring to me to hear those stories from you so really you've both introduced uh the topic already a preacher's daughters. And I have some fairly simple questions for you today. Um, I expect to find the hard part of this episode in your perspectives as you share what was hard about being a preacher's daughter. Obviously, the mantra of this uh, 
podcast is that we're trying to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. And I think it is difficult to be a preacher's kid. I obviously am a preacher's kid, and I've known quite a few of them, but I haven't been a preacher's daughter. So uh, <laughs> you might have some unique perspectives that I don't have. But before we get to the hard part, tell me some things you have loved, if there is anything, about growing up in a pastor's home. And don't worry about my feelings. If you don't have anything that you love, then don't say anything. <laughs> but what have you loved? If, you're, if you've got anything, what have you loved about growing up in a pastor's home? Um, I loved that we had the ability to create our own family through the church. I mean, we have many people who we call, you know, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, you know, we created our own family, especially when we moved. Um, I loved that God was always at the center of our life. It, you know, made home like comfortable, like in a way that I know a lot of other people didn't have because, you know, their parents may not have really agreed on what they believed on a deeper level or kids may not have. And in our home, we knew you know, who we answered to and who was at the center of our life. Um, and then I'm really not just saying this, but I loved that my dad was my pastor. I've always <laughs> thought that was just awesome. I'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's a little test then. And either one of y'all can answer. What did you call, and this started in Alabama. What did you call uh, George and Melba Southard? Mama and Papa. Yeah. We were not kin to them. They were just very close to us in the church. And your first birthday party was at their house. And uh, what did you call John Waddle? Uncle John. Oh, and he obviously was not, uh, you know, not blood, blood kin. His sister is my sister-in-law. So your aunt, but uh, he was just a deacon in the church and uh, uh, a close. How about up here? Um, uh, Mike and Pat Murphy. Grandma yeah. Pat. Grandma, yeah, Pat. Grandma, Grandma Pat, uh, Richard and Brenda Thurman. Uncle Richard. Yeah. Um, uh, Dorothy Blades. Grandma Dottie. Grandma Dottie. <laughs> and really the list goes on and on. I mean, um, let's see. We've got some that have passed on. Roy and Marge Switzer. Yeah. Nana. Yeah. So that's what, uh, if you're listening and trying to figure out what she was talking about with we get to create our own family. Um, you know, I've made mention of this before and I, I want to be careful about it because I don't want to overemphasize it, but, you know, Jesus said, if you sacrifice mother, father, sister, brother, whatever, um, for the cause of the kingdom, he said, I will give you, um, uh, many more. Right. And he talks about houses and all these different things and, and whatever we sacrifice, he'll give us much more. And, you know, when we moved up to Maryland, we moved 800 miles from, from my parents. And so you two girls kind of grew up, grew up without being able to hang out at, at grandma's house. Um, and, but, and, and look, it's not, you still missed something. You still missed out on something, but God in some ways gave you so many other sets to go along with them. And of course in heaven, we'll, we'll all get to enjoy each other forever, but that's cool. I'm glad you, um, I'm glad you look back on that experience as something that was special and that meant something. How about you, Amber? 
What have you loved about growing up in a pastor's home? Well, Kayla kind of took my answers, but um, <laughs> I mean, like around the same what she said, like we always grew up around God. We always grew up learning about God. We went to vacation Bible school every summer. We went to church camp and we just, our entire lives were planned around those couple of like routine things like we go to church every Sunday Wednesday nights we have church Friday nights we have youth groups Saturday is preparation for Sunday and then summer comes we have all the church activities and we have Easter and Christmas and we know what we're doing and it just Mm -hmm. it continued on for ever (laughs) and so it basically just gave us a structure for each year of our lives of what we are to expect what we needed to do what we were going to learn and who we were going to see and that I would say that God allowed our family to have some stability because we went from being in Alabama with our entire family and knowing everybody and us growing up our childhoods there and then we moved all the way here and we had no idea what was going on and we kind of developed a dependability on our church family too like god definitely like helped us feel more at home than most people would in an entire year but within a couple of years of us being here we had so many people that loved and cared for us like we were their their own and it didn't matter if we were from alabama or if we were crazy like (laughs) they just they loved us for who we were and they never told us that we weren't their grandchildren or we weren't their family or anything. They just accepted us for the little kids that we were that had no idea what was going on in Maryland and missed Alabama and wanted to go back, but they made us feel more at home than they ever could have. Yeah. It, you know, it took quite a few years from my perspective for you to stop saying, I want to move back to Alabama. Now you didn't really say it (laughs) that way. But it was obvious that, uh, you know, you were you were missing the experiences that you had had as a kid, which is part of your personality. I remember wanting to go back to Alabama. I remember saying it. I'd be like, yeah. I don't like it here. I want to go back to Alabama. <laughs> yep. I don't think I stopped saying that until I was like nine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're a person that treasures things you're familiar with um, to a great degree. So, um, you know, it did take quite a while for you to, uh, to be able to consider this home, uh, at least to some extent. Um, so you kind of got into the next question. What are some advantages that you have perceived? Now, they might not necessarily be that significant, but I can think of a few that I've seen uh, in, in y'all's lives, things that you, you get to do or get to enjoy that maybe uh, kids who do not grow up in a preacher's home have missed out on? What are some advantages that you perceived in being preacher's daughters? Um, I think my main one that I can, you know, really pick from my brain is that I knew if I had a question about anything, um, whether it was, you know, a question for you or a question for mom, I knew that the answers we're going to be from a biblical point of view and I wasn't going to get something that 
was necessarily wrong in a sense. Like, I feel like you guys put a lot of thought and, you know, whatever into the answers. Um, I know that that I may not have always agreed with your answers, but uh, I did always know that they came from a place like they came from, you know, the Bible and a good place. Um, But it also. I think being a preacher's daughter kept me accountable in certain areas of my life, um, especially when it came to expectations um, from different people. Like there probably could have been a number of things that I would have done in my life, but knowing, you know, whether it was for the right reasons or not, I didn't end up doing some of them because I was a preacher's daughter. I did have those expectations and, you know, it wasn't just my parents finding out it was an entire church congregation, you know, hearing this or that. And like, it, it wasn't just, you know, a personal private uh, family matter if I messed up like somehow you know one person could have heard about it and then the entire church knew and that definitely kept me out of a lot of bad situations as a kid hmm that's that's interesting and and up and uh, awesome to me because you know I've got some questions about the negatives of being a pastor's kid and you know I was gonna I was gonna include that question in the negative category, you know, did you experience certain pressures and challenges from the congregation as a result of being a pastor's kid, but you've kind of spun that in a different direction that, 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 that was something of an advantage that helped you to behave better. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah. In some areas, I definitely later, I can talk about how it was a negative as well. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, it definitely in many different areas, you know, it, it put in, a prop, I, I would say an appropriate fear, um, of doing certain things or being found out by certain people or letting down, you know, a number of people that either saw me a certain way or I knew loved and cared for me. And it didn't just have to do with my parents. Like, you know, we had, like we've said, we have our family here in the church and one of them finds out I'm, doing something I'm not supposed to, you know, they would come to me in a loving way and talk to me about it. And, you know, the times that that had happened, I definitely would feel, you know, guilty. And I hated that I had disappointed them in a certain way and wanting to avoid that, whether it was for the right or wrong reasons. Um, like I said, definitely kept me accountable. Do you feel like those pressures were pressures that you, you put on yourself or that your parents put on you or that God put on you or that the people put on you, or was it a combination? I think it was definitely a combination. I think my expectation of myself kind of came to a head. Um, and it was more about, I didn't want to go through the feelings of disappointment from people or, you know, et cetera. But um, it definitely was a combination of, right. How about you, Amber? What advantages can you think of being a preacher's kid? Um, one advantage I think that I've seen from most of my friends and everything is growing up as a preacher's kid, like we've always been taught about God. We knew Bible stories as children. 
we knew who Moses and Joseph and David and all of them were and what they did Mm -hmm. like in the Bible and everything and how the Bible was written by God and then how Jesus was born and how he died and just we just knew all the stories about him and most of my friends or people today or people I've gone to school with have no idea even what one Bible story is what one Bible verse is some like some of the kids I work with that have started coming to church they like they hear Moses or Noah's Ark or anything and it just sounds like a name and a story but Mm -hmm. they have no idea what's behind it or God's miracles that he's you know performed or anything they have no idea what it all means and like it means something to all of us like most people don't even know what a rainbow actually is they just think it's a pretty color that's some scientific thing that is created by light and rain and <laughs> you know that it's completely something different so i like that i've grown up knowing stories about story. amazing people so very cool. Well, your answers are much better than I anticipated. I thought you would say something like, well, we had our own personal gymnasium right outside of our house. <laughs> I was going to say, we got to steal your office all the time and yeah. no one could come in it. Right. We knew the church like the back of our hand. <laughs> yeah. We could find things for anybody. Yep. Yep. It's, it's pretty cool to me how from a pretty early age, I have said, and I said this on a podcast recently, that um, knowledge is power. Um, information is influence. And because you had access to so much more information, because you were saturated with church stuff, because it was just always around, you ended up with influence and authority way earlier in life than would normally occur in a church setting. Um, yeah. And and maybe, that, maybe there were some disadvantages to that, too, but... Um, it definitely made you useful and all four of you, um, were serving in, in significant compact, significant, significant capacities in the church, you know, pretty early on. Um, so that's kind of cool from, from my perspective anyway. All right, well, let's get into the negatives. What have been some of the unique pressures and challenges that have come either from, uh, Tanya and me uh, and or the congregation as a result of your dad being a, a preacher and a pastor? Well, I will definitely go back and say the expectation of perfection in many different areas, whether it was coming from you guys in certain ways or the congregation or our community, like at school, you know, I was I always felt like I was held to a higher standard and any tilt in either direction, whether good or bad, if I was a little too good, I'd be seen like a goody goody. If I was seen doing something even minorly wrong, it was, oh, she's that kind of preacher's daughter who rebels and, you know, is terrible. And, you know, there's that cliche that I never wanted to fall into. In fact, there's two, there's either the goody goody or there's the girl who defies her parents and does all this stuff behind their back. And I will cop to the fact that I, you know, fall under the ladder in some instances, 
but um, having that expectation was always uh, very frustrating, um, especially when it came to like, if I did mess up, I felt um, that I had to keep things looking really good on the outside, um, you know, keeping my private life, private life, private, and, you know, not letting anyone see that the preacher's daughter has issues too. Like I didn't, I don't think I saw that as, you know, something that humanized me to other people. Like, yeah, I messed up too. I think it, I think I held myself in the opposite direction as I felt like I needed to be perfect. I didn't need to mess up and, you know, either way, because it could be seen wrong. It could be misconstrued. Um, and that also made it to where I didn't, I wasn't allowed to do things that other kids did, or I couldn't get away with things that other kids could, um, because it could be, you know, it could go around the church. It could fall back on you and mom in a certain way, which I never wanted. Uh, it could be misconstrued and the story turned around in so many different ways. And, you know, I think on the back end of that, that expectation had a lot of negatives. Yeah. And, you know, I want to say to, uh, to any preachers, and if Patrick was on here, you know, he's got two daughters, it would be a message that, that I would want to give to him. And I, I'm, I know he agrees with it and already knows it, but, um, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a parent, you don't want to ever say to your child, don't misbehave because you'll make me look bad. Um, I don't think I ever said that, but you don't even want to say it with, with your demeanor. Um, the reason that we want our children to behave should always be for the glory of God. In other words, you don't want to make Jesus look bad. You know, we are his representatives. And that really has nothing to do with being a preacher's kid. That simply has to do with being a Christian. So if I was, if I wasn't in ministry, if I wasn't a preacher, I should have that same desire for my children. And that kind of pressure, um, you know, makes sense. Of course, it should include the truth of God's grace. Um, but uh, definitely, if you're a pastor listening to this podcast, you know, be very careful that you don't um, give your child a reason to be bitter against the ministry by putting pressure on them to carry a load that they're not equipped nor required to carry. Uh, Christ is is very generous, and people are are very not <laughs> very much not generous. They can be very unforgiving. Amber, how about you? What were some unique pressures or challenges that um, that you had to face as a result of it's being in ministry? Well, one thing I always thought was like a big part of our lives was us being pastors, kids, especially preachers, daughters, we were always put under a microscope. We were every move that we ever made was watched everything we said, everything we meant, every action we did, like it, we were watched like a hawk. And if we messed up, our parents were the first one to know about it. If we (laughs) said anything wrong, our parents were the first one to know about it or the congregation knew about it 
or a deacon knew about it or someone, someone found out about it. And it, in, at least for me, it made me realize how hard it is to trust certain people because Mm. I remember being a kid, I was either upset at one of my friends or upset at my parents for some reason, or upset at my siblings. And I could have just said something that I didn't mean. And it got back to either the person I said something about or my siblings or my parents. And it just bit me in the butt when it would be any other person saying that. And they would be like, Oh, well, okay, we'll help you. But I don't know with us. I think it's different because everyone holds us to such high standards because we are preachers daughters and we're expected to act a certain way that if we mess up like we are told to be put in our place by either another adult or by our parents and it just it made it made it very hard for me as a young kid and still today to trust my certain people in the church because I could never know if I could tell them something and they go tell my parents right away when I didn't want my parents to know because (laughs) I just didn't. Yeah. Not that that I don't trust my parents. It's just certain things that I didn't talk about with anybody. And I told certain people and then they went straight to someone else and it just spread like wildfire. So then I just learned to be very quiet and deal with things on my own. Yeah. It's funny because I think on the flip side, like, yeah, I, I definitely struggled with that too, but I think it made me more aggressive in trying to find people who I could really trust. And I think when I got, um, when I could see a certain quality in some people, I think it made me over trusting, which also came back to, like you said, bite me in the butt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I'm not sure how to say it. We, we talk about in ministry, we talk about people becoming cynical, uh, suspicious, jaded. Uh, Tanya and I talk about this quite a bit. Um, and we've seen it in others and we've seen it in ourselves at times and we can be desensitized by what we're exposed to, but there's also a, a part of it where this is, um, a maturing process that it helps you to see reality and to realize I can only place my confidence in God. People are not reliable when you're exposed to the best people around. And that's what, that's how I view church people, not all church people, but like we had vacation Bible school last night, we had a dozen or so leaders at VBS that I would trust with anything. If I had a billion dollars, I would have no problem handing it to them and saying, I need this back tomorrow, you know, or next week. Could you handle that for me? I mean, I absolutely trust them. But to be exposed to some of the best people on the planet and the best people in history and still to be exposed to lots of pain helps you to realize there's nobody that's ultimately reliable except Christ. And that's a that's a maturing perspective that you've been exposed to very early on. And, you know, as I listen to you too, I'm amazed at your eloquence. Um, you know, Kayla, you just turned 24. 
had to do the math in my head. Um, and uh, Amber, you're 18. 19. 19. Oh, I'll keep that in the podcast just to admit my horrible memory. Uh, so Amber's 19, Kayla's 24. And, you know, the things that you're saying, you're not rambling. You're not just, you know, saying stuff to be, to be uh, filling up space. There's depth and there's meaning to what you're saying. And, you know, some of the things that you're saying, I'm sitting here thinking this needs to be said, and then you say it. Um, and I think that's all part of, of your exposure to the guts of what God does in his church. And some of it's ugly. Some of it's really hard. Um, and I don't, I don't mean to give you any kind of martyrs complex. That's not what I'm saying. I think that personally, as a preacher's kid myself, I think the advantages far outweighed the disadvantages. Um, it, just speaking of my childhood growing up. And I didn't embrace a lot of the opportunities that I had, and I wish I had embraced them. But um, it's so cool to see how God has worked in your lives. I, I have to ask this from the negative perspective, though. Was there a time when you looked at other girls around you and, frankly, you just were jealous and you were like, I wish I could be like that girl? They don't have to deal with all this. Yep. Yeah. It definitely mm. came up in my mind. And it wasn't always like, <laughs> it's, hard to admit, but I think my point of view always came from boys and well, they get to, you know, flirt with a guy or maybe hold hands with a guy they like. And I can't do any of that. If anybody sees me talking to a boy, it's going to get back to my parents. It happened so many times in when I was in high school or anything. And I felt like I had to sneak around pretending I didn't like a boy or if I did like a boy, like I had to hide it and I couldn't tell anybody. And I would see these girls that, you know, could have boyfriends or if they did um, like someone and then they stopped liking someone, it wasn't a big deal. You know, it was normal. But if I liked someone, it was a huge deal. And then if I stopped liking them, you know, it was, that was an even bigger deal. Yeah. It <laughs> turned out to be a negative. <laughs> You know, yeah. I was called different names. And if I liked, you know, multiple boys, it wasn't like a normal person liking different people throughout their life. You know, people see it one way in a bad way. Yeah. Yep. You definitely live in a glass house. And uh, this is a good opportunity for me to run a rabbit trail. You've heard it said uh, those who live in glass houses should not throw stones. I don't know if you've heard that or not. Yeah. Uh, but someone came along after that and said, how about let's just not be throwing stones at all. Whether <laughs> you live in a granite glass <laughs> house or not. Uh, yeah. But you, you, you have definitely um, enjoyed and endured the limelight, certain scrutiny that, um, that maybe others haven't faced others that you've watched that you've known haven't faced. Um, and it's not just preachers kids. I mean, you know, imagine being Chelsea Clinton, you know, or yeah. one of Barack Obama's daughters or one of George um, W. Bush's uh, daughters. You know, they were yeah. scrutinized by the whole world. So it's not just preacher's daughters. But, it's like we um, get a little glimpse of what it's like to be a huge public figure or a famous person's kid. You know, they have no right. privacy either. Right. So here's where the rubber meets the road. If you were to end up 
with your husband being a pastor? And I'll let Amber answer first because she hasn't answered <laughs> first yet. If you were to end up with your husband being a pastor, would that be exciting to you? Or would that be something that you'd be afraid of, so to speak? And just be honest. I mean, I've thought about it. I mean, I it wouldn't really scare me because I have grown up in a pastor's family my entire life. I think I would be more scared for my kids because I've watched, you know, our mom go through all the challenges that a pastor's wife can go through. And she has her struggles, but she does it amazingly. (laughs) So, I mean, I know that I would have people to go to if I did have problems, if I was a pastor's wife, but I definitely think I would be more worried about my kids than me because I know the struggles that I've had as a pastor's kid, especially a pastor's daughter. And I would want to help with that, but also I'm supposed to be my kid's parent and not their friend. So I would, it would be more difficult for me to find a balance trying to help my kids with being a pastor's family as a whole than me being a mom to them and trying to be a good wife to my husband. So Mm -hmm. I definitely think it's harder to be a pastor's wife than it is to be a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) I really mean that. I'm sure mom would agree with you. (laughs) Shout out to Tanya Talley. (laughs) Yes. I was going to say insert mom's tears here. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Kayla? If Nathan were to say, Hey, God has called me to preach. What would you say? Well, it's funny because when we first, you know, started dating he felt called to be a youth pastor and I immediately thought oh that's so cool I have a little glimpse in that or I could be like my parents because you know dad you started out as a youth pastor and worked your way from there um now I I would be excited for many different reasons but I think I would be very nervous um because I I think my thing is I will always have in the back of my mind being held to a high standard and wanting to meet high standards because I'm a, I'm a people pleaser really. So if I'm not meeting someone's standards or if I feel like I could be doing something better or I'm not um, addressing things the way I think a good pastor's wife would do, um, I think that would be my biggest struggle. The one thing that would make me nervous, but I also agree with Amber. I would definitely be very nervous for my kids, um, going through everything that I did, especially with my daughter, I would really worry what she struggles with and doesn't bring to me, you know, because mm-hmm. there's not, there's definitely stuff that you don't want to admit to your parents you're struggling with because, you know, um, how it would maybe hurt them in other ways, um, how it could, if it did get out, how it could affect, uh, you know, your job as a pastor, how it could affect, you know, friendships down the line. And I just, it would be really hard for me to know I've not allowed, but I've kind of, place not even place I don't really know what the word is but that kind of pressure on my kids you know they talk about wives you know having 
one of the hardest jobs as a um, being the pastor's wife, but nobody really talks about the kids. Yeah. You know, I mentioned earlier, I asked the question, did the pressure, do you, you think you put it on yourself? Did it come from God? Did it come from me and your mom or did it come from the congregation? But there's actually another place where that pressure comes from. And it's, it's the scriptures and Titus one and first Timothy three, I think it is. We have the qualifications for a pastor uh, or for an elder and he's supposed to rule his house well, having his children mm-hmm. in subjection. So yeah. there is a there is a proper pressure that comes right out of the scriptures on the the children of a pastor saying, hey, what you do matters in a very specific way. And uh, all four of you children have uh, have lived your lives thus far in such a way that I've, I've never had to sit back and say, man, am I going to have to resign because my kids won't behave? Um, I've never felt that way. And so I'm grateful for, for the authenticity of, of your faith um, that you have bought into the truth that you've been exposed to and encourage you to stick with it. What advice would you offer to young girls, say Alyssa Reed and Danielle Reed? who are growing up in a preacher's home. We'll kind of end with this one. We've, um, we've done pretty good. I don't want to go too long with the podcast and lose our, our listeners. Uh, <laughs> so we'll stop with this, this question. What advice would you offer to young girls who are growing up in a preacher's home? Um, I would, I would definitely say that if, if I was talking to a pastor's daughter and I was like 20 something and she was probably in her teens I would just try to remind her that it's okay to mess up like if you do mess up it's fine like sure try not to try and obey all the rules try and do your best and do what will please God but messing up once or a couple of times is not the worst thing that can happen there's been worst things in the world that have ended in disaster messing up one day in church and it getting out to everybody and your parents being upset with you for a little bit is okay like it's not the end of the world if you screw up and people are unhappy because they either will forgive you or it'll show who actually cares about you enough to forgive you because there's nothing that serious that anyone can do that can ruin the amount of love that they have for you, or at least it shouldn't in my opinion. Love lasts forever. Love endures true love. And, and that's first John one, nine, you know, Amber, um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John says also in that context, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves truth is not in us. We say we haven't sinned, then we're calling God a liar. So everybody fails. It's not the end of the world. Don't beat yourself up endlessly. Um, that's good advice. Kayla. Oh, I would have to say, don't try to be someone that you're not be authentic you don't be one person for the this crowd of people and somebody else for the other crowd you know if you're you all around I mean it can 
it can really solve problems before they're even created. You know, you won't um, be the center of gossip in a way that, you know, oh, well, she was this way with this person and, you know, it won't be that kind. Um, And if you're authentic, then people know they're getting what they, they're getting what they're getting at face value. And it says a lot um, about Christians as well. If you're being authentic and people, you know, see you mess up, but they also see you get back up and try again and not trying to hide it. You know, a lot of people will see that as, I mean, you can be a walking testimony, you know, they'll probably come up to you and say, you went through this really awful thing and you didn't try to hide it. Like you didn't change who you were, you, you know, were honest. And I think that goes a long way. And it's something I wish I had learned when I was younger. Mm. Be real. It's good advice for everybody, but uh, yeah, absolutely. For young girls. Um, Great advice. God made you the way he made you for a reason. You don't need to be somebody else. And the truth is so easy to defend, you know, because you don't have to memorize it. You don't have to remember what you said, right? If you just speak yeah. the truth and you live the truth and you be authentic, you be genuine, you be real, you be transparent. It doesn't mean you don't not being kind, but um, then you don't have anything to hide and you can, you can, and, uh, and people know what to expect then, and they don't make expectations for you that are unrealistic. Well, this has been good. I appreciate so much uh, you two coming on. Uh, your mom and I are uh, so proud of you. Elijah will rebuke me for saying that because I preached <laughs> against pride. But we are so grateful uh, that God has given you two to us and the boys as well. Um, but I've already spoken to them on a podcast. Um, but um, both of you are going in a great direction and, uh, you're beautiful inside and out and, uh, and we love you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kayla and Amber for spending time with me today. Bless you both. Amber, as you work this summer at Chick-fil-A in Easton, and as you head off to college, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, this fall. God bless you, Kayla, as you return home to your husband and daughter tomorrow in South Dakota and uh, continue your life there as a wife and mom. To our listeners, pray for Patrick as he gets a little closer to moving to another continent, moving over to Africa. He told me he's not running his air conditioner in his RV down in Florida so he can get used to African heat. Uh, (laughs) I think he's crazy, but hey, to each his own. Uh, I admire his, uh, his spunk, his grit. Um, to those of you who are listening to this podcast, again, Eli, my baby boy, that was episode 15 of season one. And Seth, that was episode 18 of season one. And my wife, Tanya, was on episode 28 of season one. So go back and listen to those if you want a holistic view of the Tally clan. And I've had a couple of brothers on and my father was on as well. So uh, you can look those up and listen to them also. Uh, Whatever podcast platform you're using, uh, use the tools that are there 
to like, share, subscribe, comment, review, et cetera. That helps the podcast reach more people and certainly can invite people to listen to the podcast and listen to other podcasts as well, not just 15, 18, and 28, but any of the others. Uh, we've had a lot of good guests and a lot of good content over the couple of years that we've been doing this uh, now. Listen again next time. Until then, may the grace of God be on you and the grit to serve faithfully be in you. Have a great week. Thanks, girls.